0: final reading from the Gospels. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. And many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore a false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven and the high priest tore his garments and said what further witnesses do we need you have heard his blasphemy what is your decision and they all condemned him as deserving death and some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him saying to him prophesy and the guards received him with blows and as Peter was below in the courtyard One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it saying, I neither know or understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began to say uh, again to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you were one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: In the passage we read tonight, Jesus is at the end of his ministry, and he has now one more thing remaining, and that is to go to the cross for the sins of the world. And, you know, Jesus alone at this point knew what he had to do, how lonely our Lord must have felt in these final hours because no one in his life, no earthly friend, really understood what would happen to him next. So Maundy Thursday is kind of a somber service, as John mentioned, in which we try to sort of walk in Gethsemane Gethsemane with Jesus and think about his last hours and feel something of his deep emotions. Now, in Mark 14, we really come to the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly life. Uh, He is heading towards his crucifixion. This is the last day of his life. And... When the chief priests and scribes decide together in verse 2 that they want to kill him for sure this time, you might say, that is the beginning of the end. When he's anointed in Bethany, the woman prepares his body for burial. You might say, that certainly is the beginning of the end. When Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples and when he gives them the bread and wine and he says, this is me, you might say, that is the beginning of the end. And at the end of the chapter, when he stands trial before the high priest, you might say, well, that marks the beginning of the end. But tonight I want to focus on one specific aspect of this incident, and that's Jesus' arrest when he voluntarily turns himself over to the authorities. Because this certainly marks a new beginning, a new development in which he begins what he knows will lead to his crucifixion. And I want you to consider one thought with me tonight, and it's this. Jesus, Jesus knowingly went forth to his rest on the Mount of Olives. If I had to give this sermon a title, it would be knowing he went. Does it make any difference that Jesus knew What was ahead when he went? In 1996, I ruptured a disc in my neck and had to have surgery. I had to have two vertebrae fused. I've been accused of being a stiff neck pastor because I've had one more beyond that. So now I have three vertebrae that are one in one. But that was involuntary. I didn't choose to have a ruptured vertebrae, but my arm was hurting so bad it was dead. My hand was numb. I had no choice but to go and have surgery. So my accident was involuntary um, and it was my, my surgery was involuntary. Jesus really was just the opposite his cross. He had complete knowledge of what lay ahead and yet he went voluntarily. Does it make any difference to us that Jesus had full knowledge of what lay ahead? and went anyway. It should. This is what I want us to be encouraged by tonight on this Maundy Thursday. This is what I want to be on our minds and hearts tonight. You know, you've no doubt heard this passage preached many times before, but let's just ask the Holy Spirit to bless our time of looking at it. Let's pray. Oh God, incline our hearts towards your statutes and not towards dishonest gain. Help us to now use our imaginations and to be fully attentive and think about our Lord Jesus' last night is voluntarily going to the cross, going to meet his betrayers on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus and say this, knowing Jesus went, three things Jesus knows in this passage. First, Jesus knows that he's come to Jerusalem to suffer and die. As early as chapter 2 of Mark, Jesus says to his disciples, the days are coming when the bridegroom is taken away. And then three times in the Gospel of Mark, he specifically predicts his death to his disciples. In Mark chapter 8, verse 3, right after Peter has confessed that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus says this, that says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Jesus repeats this in, ver- in Mark chapter 9 in the middle of his Galilean ministry and then in Mark chapter 10 when they're on their way up to Jerusalem he says some very similar words to that. So this is in the background of the Gospels, but I want you to see it in Mark 14. Notice here in Mark 14 all that Jesus knows. Jesus knows that this woman is anointing his body for burial. Jesus knows that the disciples will betray him. Jesus knows that it is his last supper and that the body and blood of the lamb actually represent him. Jesus knows that he will be abandoned by his disciples, the future apostles of the church. Jesus knows the place where they would meet, and he knows that Judas knows the place where they would meet. John tells us that they went there often, and Judas knew of the place. (laughs) Jesus knows his betrayers at hand and what it's about to mean for him, and yet he comes out to meet Judas. Jesus knows that he will stand before the chief priest and the whole council and that many will bear false witness against him and that he will be, be beaten and suffer mistreatment. He knows that he will stand before Pilate. And lastly, Jesus knows that on the next day he is going to walk the Via Dolorosa and go to Golgotha to die on the cross for us. He knows the messianic banquet of the kingdom of God, how it will be inaugurated, how it will be initiated, how it has to be purchased through his own blood. Yes, Jesus does know, and he says this in the passage, he does know that he is the Messiah, the Son of Man, who will be seated at the right hand of God and come with power. And yes, he knows that ultimately it is God, not the Roman authorities or the Jewish authorities who are in charge of his faith, fate. And yes, he knows that he will conquer death and rise to life again in three days. But he also knows that he has to fully drink the cup of God's wrath on behalf of mankind. So Jesus knew all the suffering that lay before him, and yet knowing all this, he goes out to meet his captors. So interesting, Jesus' mission was stated from the start. The cross was before Jesus at the very first. He came to die for others. He came to die for us, his church. He knew what would happen to him. He knew what was before him, but he willingly went forth. Anyway, our passage makes clear that Jesus voluntarily drank the cup of God's judgment for you and for me. Sunday in his excellent sermon, Josh said that Jesus is a humble king who rides towards suffering and death. Similar to what we're saying tonight. Here we're saying Jesus is a knowing king. He's an all-knowing king who rides towards suffering and death. He knew what lay before him. Two other things really are implied with this. Not only does Jesus know what lies before him, Jesus knows who he is. We see this throughout the Gospels and throughout this passage, this divine self-consciousness that Jesus possesses. In Mark 10, 45, after predicting his death a third time, Jesus says, This to the disciples, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew that he was the seed of the woman who had crushed the head of the serpent, and that his heel would be bruised. Jesus knew that he was the snake on the pole that would be lifted up so that men might live, the bronze serpent. Jesus knew he was the one who would drink the cup of God's wrath and be the sin bearer for the world. Jesus knew that he was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He knew that his punishment would bring us peace, that his life would be a guilt offering for ours, and that by his very stripes, you and I would be healed. Jesus knew that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew he was the true sacrificial lamb of the Passover, the true lamb without moral blemish. Jesus knew that God would make him who knew no sin to become sin so that mankind, God's church, might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus knew the plan of God. He understood it all. He knew the scriptures. And twice in this passage, it talks about Jesus goes forth and says, let the scriptures be fulfilled. Here's another thing to think about. Jesus alone knew this. I've been recently rereading through the Gospel of Luke, and I've been so fascinated by all the references to the crowds. And I reread the Gospel of Mark this week, and all the references to the crowds surrounding Jesus. Luke 12, 1 says, so many, i would never seen this verse, so many thousands of people were gathering around Jesus that they were trampling one another. That, That verse has just escaped me. So many thousands were traveling, cramped around Jesus, gathered around Jesus. They were trampling one another. So Jesus had all these crowds around him from all over the towns and cities throughout Galilee where he'd gone out evangelizing and healing and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And Jesus had these 12 disciples. And he had three especially close disciples. And yet there was not one person in the world who understood what he was going to do. Can you imagine the weight of that? Can you imagine burying that alone in your soul? No wonder he was crying out in Gethsemane. He knew the scriptures and he knew who he was. Jesus knew he had come to die. He knows who he is and there's a third thing he knows. Jesus knows your sin and he knows mine. And this is where it gets much more personal and maybe even more helpful. Romans 5.8 says that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This means that he had a full knowledge of your sin when he went to the cross. This means that Jesus knew Noah's drunkenness. He knew Abraham's lying. He knew Moses' anger. He knew David's murder and adultery. He knew the apostles' unfaithfulness. He knew Peter's denial. He knew the sinful debauchery of the people of Corinth who would later be forgiven, cleansed, washed, made new, and become saints of God. He knew all the sins of all his people. And guess what? If you're here tonight and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that means he knew all your sins when he went to the cross. When he went forth to turn himself over to Judas, knowing it would take him to the cross. He knew all your sins, beloved, and he knew all mine um, he knew all your selfishness, your greed, your lust, your pride, your anger, your vanity, your false trust, your idols, your disobedience, your willful disobedience, your unfaithfulness, your lying, your gossip, your slander and coveting and he knew mine and he Turned himself over to Judas so that he could go bear our sins on the cross. When I was an RUF campus minister at Mercer, I was walking across campus one day and one of the guys in our ministry had this shirt on and the front of the shirt said, this blood's for you. I'm pretty sure it was a takeoff on the beer commercials, this bud's for you. I said, this blood's for you. And I, and I thought, oh great, another cheesy Christian t-shirt. And as he walked by, I looked at the back of the shirt. On the back of the shirt was a bloody cross and a crown of thorns hanging. And I just said, oh, my God has forgiven all my sins. This blood is for you. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Has that hit you? That Jesus has forgiven all your sins on the cross. He washes it all away. Do you know that tonight? So Jesus knew all these things. He knows what lies ahead. He knows who he is. He knows all our sins. And yet, he went. This is the crux of the matter, right? This is the fulcrum. This is the turning point. It all hinges on this. He can know all those things, but he still has to go. And he does go. And he goes And gives himself to Judas. Verse 42 says, rise, he tells his disciples, rise, let us go. This is a call to meet Judas and those with him. Jesus does not seek to escape. His prayers have led him to accept the will of God. He's ready to go through all the events he's predicted. This is astounding. The son of man, the one who has given dominion, glory, glory. And kingship, according to Daniel 7, goes forth to give his life as a ransom for many. The one who forgives sins walks, to be turned, walks out to be turned over to sinners. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is portrayed as a man of action. You may know that. The word immediately comes up many, many times. Jesus is a man of actions, And here he goes. Jesus went. He went to the Mount of Olives. He went to Gethsemane. And he goes forth to meet his accusers. You might say it like this. Jesus went to initiate the beginning of the end. He went to set in motion the events of his death, to tip the snowball over the top of the hill. Jesus went to crush the head of the serpent, to give his life as a ransom for many. He went to take away your sin and mine by being the true Lamb of God without blemish. Blemish. He went to ransom you. He went to battle to do battle and defeat death on your behalf. He went to heal you by his stripes. He went to drink the cup of the Father's wrath against all your sin. He went to lay down His life for you. He went to transfer you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. He went to initiate the new covenant by means of His own blood so that you can be a part of God's forever family. He went to open the way to the Messianic banquet so that you can drink wine anew in the kingdom of God. He went to make for all peoples a rich feast of food and well-aged wine. He went to swallow up death forever. And wipe away all tears. Amen. Jesus loved us, his bride, so much that he walked out to, to meet Judas so that he could go to the cross on our behalf. And you know what? He went resolutely. No wavering. I'm gonna, this is going to sound like I'm going to throw in my wife under the bus on this, but you've got to listen to the end of the illustration. My wife, Betsy, is no fun to travel with at all. She's great fun to go on vacation with, but she's no fun to travel with because when we get in the car, she immediately falls asleep. So if we're going to the beach, I mean, by alabaster, she's out. Or if we get on a plane and we're flying overseas, you know, 20 minutes into the flight, she's out. I can't sleep on a plane. I can't sleep in a car. Here I am alone traveling. She doesn't drive. I do all the driving. I'm left to travel alone. (laughs) On April 23rd, 2019, Betsy and I received a phone call that no parent ever wants to get. Our oldest son, John Harden, had gotten hit by a car. We later found out it was going 55 miles an hour. And it was the Carolinas Medical Center. And the first thing the nurse says was, your son's been hit by a car. We're doing brain scans right now. And so it took us about 15 minutes, all the 15 minutes to pack. And we get in the car. It all worked out good. Okay, he's okay. That's why this is okay. Fifteen minutes later, we're in the car, and Betsy looks at me and says, I'm driving. It's 10 p.m. She drives from 10 p.m. till 5 a.m. the next morning white knuckling the steering wheel. I go to sleep on and off on the way up there and she drives us all the way there and at 5 a.m. we walk into the emergency room and there's our son covered with glass and cuts all over the place and thankfully, in God's mercy, three days later he walks out of the hospital. But why did she do that? You know why. Because she had a mother's love for her son and nothing was getting in the way. And you didn't understand, that's the way Jesus was going to the cross. Nothing was going to get in the way for his love for you. One of the greatest memories I have of my childhood, it's the greatest memory of my childhood. The greatest thing about my childhood is that every single day of my life, my dad would walk out of his room at night, and they had a wooden floors in the hallway, and I would hear his slippers every day of my life, my dad came into my room and said, I want you to know this. I love you, and I'm so proud of you. There were some days when I had been a pill, when I had been a high schooler, when I had fought with my mother. And even on those days, my dad came down the hall and he said, I really do want you to know that I love you. And what you're supposed to see in this text, that when Jesus goes forth to meet Judas, you're supposed to hear the Lord God walking in footsteps in your direction, saying, I love you. Because that's what's going on in this passage. Jesus going forth to meet his accusers is about God's love for you. Uh, what could possibly be more wonderful? To know that God loves you this much. So, just a closing thought. Jesus was not some helpless religious leader whose life was brought to an end by more powerful religious and Roman authorities. No, his arrest was not really an arrest. It was a voluntary giving of his life for you and for me. And he did it for us, his bride to the church. And so let's come to the table and take of the Lord's Supper with great confidence this night. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are astounded by your great love for us and your great mercy to us. We are so thankful to be your children. We thank you that you chose to walk the way of suffering on our behalf. To make us your own. We thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Let us now celebrate this communion with your strength and grace. In Jesus' name, Amen.